Welcome to the podcast of Scott Street MB Church. We hope you find this message inspiring and encouraging in your walk as a disciple of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, I'm having a little bit of height issues with your pulpit, so if it's okay, I'm going to talk from here today. Uh, Good morning and thanks for having me. It is an honor and a treat to be here uh, together with you. I'd like to start by making a confession to you, which seems like a good way for you to get to know me. Uh, And there are any number of scandalous confessions I could make to you about my broken soul. But the rather tame one that came to mind for this morning is this. I am prone to procrastination. Not all the time, but in particular when I have a creative assignment to do, which makes no sense because it's actually my favorite thing in the world to do. But for some reason, that also becomes the very same moment when it becomes absolutely urgently imperative that I scan at least 15 different news websites going on in the world that needs my attention and my concern more immediately than the work in front of me. So I scan and I click and I scan and I click and I inform myself on all kinds of issues that have absolutely no relevance to my life whatsoever. And in the course of this awful waste of time in the life that God has given me, uh, there is one particular type of link that I always click on. And that is, I admit with some embarrassment, the inevitable advice column link. And I click not because I think those are the most useful articles, but they're almost like a mesmerizing train wreck to me. (laughs) Like the accident that you shouldn't look at and yet just can't seem to turn away from. And it's terrible. Like I can't believe the, the details and the stories and the intimacy with which people write into these strangers with. And the tens of thousands of readers, like me, that they don't mind listening in on the conversation. Like, to me, it's just so crazy. So crazy, I must watch. (laughs) So here's a top ten of recent headlines. Flirty colleague is crossing a line. My wife wants to have a baby but says it won't be mine. My husband secretly cut me out of his will. Do I pretend my marriage is good even if I don't believe it? Should I get involved with a coworker who has an understanding with his wife? My wife is having an emotional affair and it's killing me. Caring for my dad full time is so tough, but I feel guilty if I don't. I've had a lifetime of trauma and now my family's given up on me. My mother won't believe what my grandfather did. How do I cut her loose? My fiancé tried to kill himself. How could he do that to the people he loves? Like the pain and the mess and the complicated stories that people are trying to navigate in this world. It's so intense. And they feel like the only lifeline that they can grab is to write into a newsletter psychologist who dispenses about four to seven sentences for problems of that magnitude. And I don't know what's more heartbreaking, if it's the letters that get written in or if it's the popcorn advice that's given back. It boggles my mind and it breaks my heart. And yet at times I too have felt the desperate need to write a big long letter chronicling my pain and my confusion and to send it off to someone who can tell me what to do. 
We're human, we're frail, and we are all in search of answers. And the book of Proverbs promises us that wisdom is out there to be found. But what does it look like? And how can we know when we've actually found it? Let's start with a few quick things that wisdom is not. Number one, it's not common. The news headlines will tell you this on a regular basis. Common sense just ain't that common anymore, if it ever was. And all over this chapter and the book of Proverbs as a whole, there are plenty of admonitions that wisdom is valuable and it can be obtained. But it's a rarity and it doesn't just land in our laps. It has to be sought out, pursued, guarded and protected once it's found. With the insinuation being that even once you've found it, you can lose it again, which is a little bit scary. It says, listen up, son, pay attention, lay hold of these words, get wisdom, get understanding. Like the language in this passage is, wisdom is not something that simply lands on everyone like oxygen and sunshine. It has to be gone after, held on to, guarded. And anything that takes that much work is not a common commodity. It's also not simply intellect or intelligence. Sometimes the words knowledge and wisdom are used interchangeably, but they're actually different qualities with different end goals in mind. Some say knowledge is, about, is knowing about things, whereas wisdom is knowing what to do with the things that you know. You could say knowledge is knowing that tomato is a fruit, but wisdom is not putting it into the fruit salad. You can be the most studied, educated, well-read, versed in all the research and hot topics of the day kind of person. You can know a lot of stuff about a lot of stuff, but still lack wisdom. There are different types of intelligence for sure. Book smart knows and understands facts by the bucketful. And then there's people smart, which is an emotional, social sort of intelligence. But wisdom is still something different yet. It's in a category all its own. And it's not automatically achieved with time. And this is a hard one. I read somewhere that knowledge comes from learning, but wisdom comes from living. And there is some truth to that, that the experience of the seasons and the stages of life, they can give us a deeper perspective about all kinds of things. And maybe that's the beginning of wisdom. But similar to the way that youth does not guarantee innocence, old age does not necessarily guarantee wisdom. In fact, sometimes our follies grow with age. With our weaknesses unchecked, they can actually start to run out of control as we get older instead of decrease. And you have probably seen some examples of that as well. Wisdom is not automatically achieved by the turning of the calendar pages. And while that might sound like bad news to some of us, like myself, who was really hoping that once I entered my 40s, I would become a wise, strong, uh, amazing person, or at least start to feel like a grown-up. But there's good news on the flip side of that nugget, right? Age does not equal wisdom. Therefore, wisdom isn't just reserved for the old. It is available and open to all. 
And if you are young here today, I pray that you would hear that deeply. Go after wisdom now. Make it a life goal that starts today. Last in the not column, wisdom is not a static set of rules. And this is the part that I find most frustrating of all. That it's not always the same right answer. It's not even always the same list of criteria. In fact, wisdom sometimes doesn't seem like the right thing at all. I'm pretty sure we'd all agree that it's never the right thing to threaten to murder a baby. And yet, a classic example of wisdom is found in 1 Kings chapter 3. In this, sto- in this story, Solomon, who is Bible famous for his wisdom, is trying to solve a dilemma of two mothers both claiming the same newborn baby as their own. When neither woman would admit to lying, and with no other solution in sight, Solomon orders a sword and says, okay, we'll cut the baby in half and each of you get a piece. Only one woman leapt forward saying, no, don't, never mind. Give the baby to the other woman. And so immediately showed herself to be the true mother. Solomon's proposal didn't sound or look like the right thing to do, but it was wisdom in action. Sometimes the wise thing supersedes what you thought was the conventionally right thing. Just like in parenting your kids or remodeling a house, negotiating a deal at work, wisdom knows that the right answer last time is not necessarily the same right answer this time. That would be following rules, as if the world were only two-dimensional. But wisdom is something different. It's more fluid than that. It's dynamic and multi-layered and full of nuance. It is knowing the exact right thing to do this time. So let's move into a few things that wisdom is. One, it is informed by studying the scriptures. You know, the Bible has so much to teach us about wisdom, about what it looks like, smells like, feels like. We can see all kinds of examples in there. Now, scripture is also chocked full of all kinds of examples of non-wisdom, so just make sure you know which one you're reading before you take your cues from it. I am constantly amazed when I read the Bible about how the things, the way that I thought things should go is not the way that God chooses to have them go. He has something higher and better in mind than I ever do. There's a beauty to redemption that's hard to put into words. You know, the way he turns things upside down and right side up. There's a counterintuitiveness to the gospel and to the whole way of Jesus that does not follow our normal human instincts. And so in studying this book, we get to know the God who is found in its pages. We become familiar with him so that we can start to recognize what his wisdom looks like what he often looks like. Because so frequently he is different than what we were expecting. So the Bible is key to gaining wisdom. But even more so is an ongoing dependence on the Holy Spirit. Wisdom is released inside of a relationship with God. Which is why we can't just stop at the first one. I don't think you can. Learn to be wise by simply reading the Bible. 
You can learn a lot of stuff about a lot of stuff, but wisdom is fluid. It moves moment to moment and situation to situation. And that requires an ongoing dependence on the Holy Spirit so that you can tap into that. In fact, we can't even properly do number one. Like we can't read the Bible properly without being immersed in and empowered by the Spirit of God. He is the source and the author of every ounce of wisdom that exists in this world. And so wisdom is revealed inside that relationship with him. Because only he knows the very right answer this time. Wisdom is a deep and a transformative dance of trust. So often in the scriptures, wisdom is spoken of in personified terms. Like we just read. You know, esteem her and she will exalt you. Embrace her and she will honor you. She will set a garland of grace on your head and present you with a crown of splendor. Now, wisdom is not a person. You know, it's not a fourth member of the Godhead. God is not a quadrilateral. But I wonder if the reason so often in Scripture that God talks about wisdom in this allegorical, personified kind of way is because wisdom only flows out of a living, active relationship with the person of the Holy Spirit. Because it's the Spirit himself who feeds us wisdom and lets it flow through us, even as it comes from him. Wisdom is deeply compassionate every time. Solomon's little experiment wasn't designed to be reckless or callous. It was designed to pull love out of hiding. And it did. Wisdom itself is deeply compassionate. Because with this God that we serve and this Jesus that we follow, the answer is always love. But what does love look like this time, in this situation, in this scenario? That's always the question that wisdom is trying to answer. If you think you've found the right answer to something, but it doesn't smell like love, I think you haven't found it yet. You might be close, but until it absolutely reeks of love, I think not yet. And that's not to say that sometimes love doesn't mean uh, difficult choices and hard moves. But when you're properly operating in wisdom, even tough love oozes compassion. And it causes your heart to break in all the right places, even as you have to carry wisdom out. Wisdom takes great care with every individual in the conversation and the situation, always. And it's courageous. Wisdom will often say things that we don't want to hear. And that can be a hard space to live in. You're probably familiar with the C.S. Lewis book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, an allegory where Christ is depicted as the great lion Aslan. I love the scene where the children are hearing about Aslan for the first time. And Susan asks, is he quite safe? I should feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Well, that you will, dearie, and no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or else just silly. Then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. He's not safe, but he's good. 
The wisdom of God is so frequently at odds with the philosophies of this world. And so it sometimes requires courage simply to hear and almost always requires courage to follow. I mean, who thinks it's actually safe to love your enemy, to trust God when the sky goes dark, to give without thought of return, to lay down your life? God's ways are the ways of an upside-down kingdom where the last become first and the first become last, where emptying yourself is the way to find yourself and losing your life is the way to gain it, where love comes first and the kingdom of self falls. And that is scary terrain for us. That's the kind of wis- that kind of wisdom roars with courage in my mind. And it requires great boldness to actually live out. And wisdom is nothing if it's not lived out. Because it might start with insight in your soul, but then wisdom's job is to make its way out through your bones, through your hands and your feet and your heart and your words. It's a dance of trust. And trust always requires courage. And finally, it's costly. Wisdom is supreme, therefore get wisdom. Though it cost all you have, get understanding. That's an interesting verse. I think the hard truth is that often we pick up the most wisdom when we go through the deepest trials, through the fire, through pain through all of the things that are going wrong, not the way we want them to go and not the way they should go. Those lands are fertile soil for growth. When it costs us everything and we are paying prices that our own souls don't know if we can manage, God meets us in those places in deep and powerful ways with his love and with his wisdom. If we can keep our hands and our eyes, and our hearts open in the fire. So don't be afraid to embrace pain when it comes. Pain often brings with it some of the most beautiful gifts, even when they're not the ones we were asking for. Our gentle, compassionate, and trustworthy Father knows the gifts we actually need. So wisdom is costly, but its rewards are deep and rich as well. So how do we cultivate more of that? Number one, study the scriptures. I mean, read the book deeply, daily. Find all the tools that you need to understand it better. Learn from the stories of wisdom and not wisdom all over the place in there. But we remember always as well that even as people of the book, our faith is not in a book, but in a person named Jesus. And so we read with the living presence of God as both our goal and our guide. Spend copious amounts of time in prayer. You know, make friends with the Holy Spirit deeply, daily. In John chapter 10, Jesus is describing for his disciples the relationship between the tender shepherd and us, his cherished sheep. And he says, my sheep know my voice. Hearing clearly is the result of closeness built up over time, of learning the dance of calling and responding, of listening and answering. 
So we have to learn how to practice listening prayer, not just petitioning prayer where we ask for things. Prayer is always intended as a two-way conversation. You have things to say and your father wants to hear them all. But he has things to say too. And we need to pause and listen deeply so that we don't miss any of them. I believe that so much. And also listen to your life. Have the courage to pay attention to your life with honesty. To the things that are going well and the ones that are not. To the places where the ground is shaking and all the corners where God is at work fashioning and shaping and molding you into his masterpiece. Learn to look for the waves and the movements of God in you and around you. He is always wildly at work in so many ways, but we usually move too fast to notice. Verse 18 says, The path of the righteous is like the first gleam of dawn, shining ever brighter to the full light of day. But the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. Do you know what makes your soul stumble? Do you pay attention to the ways and the times when you lose your footing? You know, have you talked with God about that? Not just to confess it to him, but to let him help you understand why it was you lost your footing there. He has wisdom to share. Do we have the courage to ask for it all? Socrates said, the unexamined life is not worth living. So where is the time and the space that you are carving out to reflect, to meditate, to talk with God about what you notice happening in you and around you? He wants to speak personally, heart to heart with you. Look beyond the surface. Listen to where wisdom is trying to teach you something. And surround yourself with wise people. You find this in verse 1, 3, 4, 10, 20, throughout the book of Proverbs, that there is a relationship between the writer and the reader. Listen, my son, when I was in my father's house, wisdom is often passed along through relationship. So find the wisest people that you can spot. And note, it's not always obvious who that is. Be careful of your assumptions. Look for a life that's working. Not perfect, not flawless, not painless, but a life that is leading to more and more light, the good stuff. Look for a spirit that feels genuine, for a deep heart that comes across in every interaction. Humility. Wisdom is never arrogant, although arguably it could be, but it's always humble. Find the people who make you feel better about God and the world after you have been with them. They are probably the ones stockpiling wisdom in their souls. Look for peace, for hope, for joy, faith, clarity, and courage. Look for good decisions even when they're the hard ones. And then figure out how to spend more time with those people. Because it's catchy and you want that. Learn to ask more questions than you give answers, which is pretty much just good advice for life. 
But the wise are constantly learning from those around them, from those above and below and everywhere in between. So much of wisdom has to do with listening, with listening to what's being said and what's not, for listening for where there is hope and fear and pain and love running just beneath the surface. It's watching for dynamics behind the dynamics and then figuring out how to speak compassion into the gap between where things are at and where they could or should be. It has to do with genuinely turning your full ear and your full heart and your full mind to the perspectives of the people around you, especially when they're different from your own. Because wisdom doesn't tend to be found in sameness. It tends to be more discovered in diversity. So learn to ask questions and to be okay without quick, easy answers. We are not good with sitting with questions. We crave answers, we crave certainty, and we crave it quickly. Both Google and Wikipedia have taught us that everything is knowable and it's just a few keystrokes away. But there's wisdom in the waiting. In fact, wisdom and urgency are almost always incompatible. Finally, and probably most importantly, ask God for wisdom. Just ask. Because at the end of the day, it is a gift that only God can give. I don't think we can make wisdom happen. I know we can put ourselves in all of the right places so that we're positioned well to receive it. You know, you can study scripture, pray, listen, surround yourself with wise people, can prove yourself trustworthy with the wisdom he has given you. But it's a gift. And we can't control or force it out of his hand. That's not our place. As so often in our spiritual walks, our job is simply to prepare the ground as best we can and then ask God to come and plant new life. Even the need to ask for it initiates that deep independent dance of trust that walking in wisdom will eventually require. And it's a gift that brings rewards. This whole chapter is heavy with reward language. In verse 10, listen, my son, and accept what I say, and the years of your life will be many. I guide you in the way of wisdom, and I lead you along straight paths. When you walk, your steps will not be hampered. When you run, you will not stumble. If the advice columns are any indication, we are desperate for the wisdom of God in this world today. I wonder if God isn't equally desperate for the kind of people and hearts in whom he can implant and trust his wisdom. So where in your life right now do you need that kind of direction most? Where do you not know where to go, which way to turn, or what love is supposed to look like in this situation? Even in business, as Jesus' followers, that is still the right question. I know this one thing to be true. As much as we long and search for God and the things of God, he longs even more to be found and for us to be found by him. Uh, Henry Nouwen in his book, Return of the Prodigal Son, says this, Now I wonder whether I have sufficiently realized that during all this time, God has been trying to find me, to know me, and to love me. 
The question is not how am I to find God, but how am I to let myself be found by him? The question is not how am I to know God, but how am I to let myself be known by him? And finally, the question is not how am I to love God, but how can I let myself be loved by him? He is longing for hearts courageous enough to trust in him, to listen for his voice, to follow where he calls, to walk in wisdom even when it's hard, and to lean into love even when it hurts, to leap when he says jump, even when it makes no sense by worldly standards, and even when there's everything to lose, but love says come. That's the kind of person I so want to be. And yet it would take an absolute miracle to ever make that true. Luckily, that is exactly the kind of business that our Savior is in. So Father, as we bring ourselves before you this morning, we ask that you would indeed make us into those kind of people. Ask that you would stir the hunger in our hearts and that you would draw us toward yourself in the answering of it. Jesus, you said you are the way, you are the truth, and you are the life. No one comes to the Father except for you. And we just confess this morning that that is our deep desire, to go to where the Father is. So would you carve that path out before us? Give us the courage and faith to chase after you. And would you change this broken world around us by this spilling out of your light from our hearts to yours? And now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ever ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to you be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. listening. For any questions about the message or to contact any of our pastors, please visit scottstreetchurch.ca.